The idea, the aim of School of Bible Exegesis is to, for people to understand the scriptures, all right, the way they are. Uh, when we are teaching the Bible, normally we just, we talk, you know, dig things here and there, and it's more, ins- ah, which word do I use now? It's more inspiring, it's more interesting, okay? We, but when you're in School of Bible Exegesis, we just take the Bible, we want to know, okay, if this word is promote, what is it promote, what does it promote mean in there? And you know, it's important that people understand the scriptures, all right? Jesus was speaking at the time. He said, this is a problem. You don't understand the scriptures, and you don't understand the power of God. And what we try to do there is to help the people, uh, the people of God understand the scriptures. So, so our school of Bible exegesis today, what I want us to do is to study the book of um, Ephesians and Colossians, the two of them. And that should take us a few weeks. So it's more than ever before, it's more criminal now than before not to have a Bible with you. Yes, it's this now, you are reading it. Alright? The Lord is good. <laughs> like I said, believers must understand the Word of God. Jesus said we are mistaken when we don't understand the Scriptures or the power of God. We must understand the Scriptures. So today what we want to do is to study the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians. Yes, I was going to start by explaining something, that there is you know, general knowledge which we should all have. Sometimes you wonder why your book of Romans is there before the book of um, Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, and then you have uh, Galatians, and then you have Ephesians, and you have Colossians, and you have uh, Thessalonians, and you have the rest like that, like that, like that. Now, this is the interesting part. <laughs> Christians sometimes don't know why it is like that. They are, everything has a reason. So we unconsciously think that it's because Romans was written first, then 1 Corinthians after, but actually it's not like that. The, first, the very first one of the books that was written is 1 Thessalonians. Yes, that's the first one that was written. Um, I don't have the dates, but if you have a Bible that has references, they will, they will discuss such things at the beginning, or you will see all those um, facts in there. So why are they arranged the way they are arranged? Well, I don't have all the details here now, but the fact is that all the letters of Paul were grouped together. Do you understand? And then the letters of Paul were now arranged according to the volume, not according to the date. Now, the book of Hebrews came late because there was no agreement that it was written by Paul. So that's why, it, though it's very voluminous, all right, it's kept somewhere else. And you don't find in your Bible as a letter of Paul or the epistle of Paul. It's just written, you know, the book of Hebrews. That's just what it is, all right? So that's why it's like that. So Romans is quite long, and then the ones that were shorter, they come after that. Now, why am I saying that? The book of Colossians, actually, all right, the letter to the Colossians was written by Paul before he wrote the one to the Ephesians. <laughs> Do you understand my point? So that's why I'm going to start my own study from the book of Colossians, just because the same person wrote it, all right, or wrote both of them. The same person wrote them, but he wrote Colossians first before he wrote the letter to the Ephesians. So I just felt, well, why don't we just um, follow that order? So let's start our reading from the book of Colossians. Um, okay, so let's just open our Bible to the book of Colossians. Because we are doing Bible like study, I'll, I'll just give some tips that has helped me over the years as a believer studying the scriptures. This is just general um, um, uh, introduction to these studies again. Now, people ask sometimes, how do you... Um, study the scriptures. I'll just give you my own personal testimony. Um, how, did I, how do I read the Bible? When I, I started studying the scriptures, 
as one that should know it in 1987, all right? Before that time, I read the Bible like everybody else. I went to church. I had Bible. You do morning devotion. You, read, you have Bible reading and all of that. But my first exposure to the fact that the Bible made sense and you could actually know it and understand it was when on campus, University of Benin, I, I, I ran into believers who read, who were in the Word of Faith movement, and they gave me, I remember the first book one brother gave me, I went for a, a meeting in what is now, uh, in a big, it's a big church now, I went for one of their fellowships on campus, and they had this, I won't mention their name because they have this bad reputation, so they were notorious time wasters, are you getting my point? It didn't start today, they... <laughs> They, they used to do when I was on campus. So they had the meeting. I went. So assuming they told me it was 8 o'clock, I got there by 8. I sat down. I don't think they started till 10. So while I was sitting down waiting for them to get started, one brother walked up to me and said, do I read Christian literature? I said, I read anything. So he gave me a book, um, Five Hindrances, I think, to Growth in Grace by Kennedy Hagen. I sat down there and read it through immediately. Because they, they wasted so much time. I had time to finish the book before the meeting even commenced, all right? But that was what provoked my own um, desire to know. And then, of course, I got involved with uh, Christians who were staying in the same room, and then we had to start learning the scriptures. So I really started learning. Now, the habit, everybody read King James because God spoke in King James, all right? God wrote King James and every other Bible. Why are they laughing? Obviously, you don't believe me. <laughs> That was the impression I was given. In fact, I had people tell me that. I had people tell me something similar to that. Remember one lady that was in my class. Once we were talking, by that time I had learned some things, some things. And she was trying to say, look, the problem is that with the church is that we don't read King James Bible. That if we read King James, all these problems will not go. That that is the original one. When you see the word authorized version in some the earlier versions of King James, people don't understand the meaning of King James. King James was a king in England who sponsored a translation of the Bible. When you say authorized, it does not mean authorized by God. It means authorized by royalty. Are <laughs> you getting my Bible? By the king of England. That's what it means. All right? Now, I read King James like everybody else, and I was just as confused as everybody else. Are you getting my point? And many people sitting down here today, you've gone through that particular confusion. And there's a simple reason for it, all right? I'm not going to sit down and start explaining deep theological issues. The simple reason is that it's written in a language you don't speak. That is all. It's not a bad Bible. It's not a good Bible. It's not thing. It's just a Bible. It's like me going to buy a Bible now, and it's, I buy a Bible written in Portuguese. It's a good Bible, right? But I don't speak Portuguese. Okay, let me, let's flip Portuguese. It sounds funny. Hausa language. I know a little bit of how I served in the north, so I can pick a few words. But me now reading my Bible in Hausa is going to be a problem. And a lot of Christians do that. They say King James must be my Bible. Now, there is nothing wrong with it. It's good. But just make sure you understand the language. So that was the problem I had as a young um, believer. I had a beautiful King James Bible, which I took from my dad. All right? Beautiful. Very beautiful. Except that the more I read it, the more confused I got. And then brethren will come to fellowship, read the text from King James, and first explain the meaning in English. Are you getting my point? That this word doesn't mean this, it means that. So one day I talked to myself that this thing is not good. So I stumbled on the Good News Bible, and I began to read it. 
<sighs> At least now I understand what the man is talking about. All right? And one of my friends, one of my roommates, one of our Bible teachers, he was laughing at me that that's how baby Christians behave. They read <laughs> Good News Bible. That that one is not... He read, you know, you understand? He made it look as if... And he used to laugh at me. If we are having devotion, they say, okay, you read. And I read from my Good News. He will start laughing. That what kind of rubbish Bible is that one? I'm not kidding, no. I look back now. I realize that he was just ignorant too. Anything wrong with King James? No. Why don't I read it? It's not the language I speak. It's a good Bible. I just don't speak that language. I've never called me and say, Thee, Israel, has thou gotten the camera ready? I've never said that. You understand my point? <laughs> or thou, Israel. He <laughs> said, Apostle Community, can't thou sit down on the... No. It's not the language I speak. I speak normal English, so I look for a Bible that speaks to me. That's all. Now, I decided to use the New American Standard for a number of reasons, because um, this is just general knowledge. There's what they call translation, and there's what they call interpretation. So many of those things, when you're talking about translation, when you're translating from one language to another, what you try to do is to give as much as possible a word-for-word, no, trans, you know, I don't want to use the translation now, you want to use you want eh? no 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 transcribe is when you take from written to um, from oral to written no you are trying to wait okay let's solve the conversation just listen to me you try your best to give a word for word you know switch from one language to another and you now you try your best you it can't, you can't always do it like that but you try and you know stick with that as much as possible so if a man says as an example all right um, I am hungry all right. If any man says in, in if you are speaking Yoruba, I don't speak Yoruba. I'm sorry, so but let me have to use Yoruba for you. If I says if I say I'm hungry in Yoruba, what it is is a being pami. If you want to translate that, you will say hunger is killing me. That is the English. Yeah, that is the, that's what they call a translation. Is hunger is killing me. All right. But an interpretation will tell you I'm hungry. Do you understand? Are you getting my point here? Uh-huh. Like you say, um, have you ever heard people try to be greeting in Yoruba? You know, Yorubas have a lot of greeting. A cool this, a cool that. That has been a headache for people trying to both translate and interpret. But interpretation is that it's just a greeting. But very difficult. But you, you see one of the issues about it. That, take that one as an example. If a man wants to now translate, interpret, if I say, ah, a kasson, you know, that kind of thing. Or a karom. But that was even good, good one. Oh, Ekushe. Yes, Ekushe, good one. Very, very, very good one. Ekushe is, um, in English, who can give me that one in, English? in common English? That's not English. Well done, is Nigeria. <laughs> it's Nigeria English. Real English is very difficult. So people now say, uh, well done for work. You know, are you getting my point? That's where the issues now come with translation. So if a man wants to interpret, he'll just tell you simply, good afternoon. Or has the work, you know, that's an, a translation. But if he wants to interpret, and if he, that's if he wants to interpret. If he wants to translate, he has to break the word down and give it to you. Now that has a number of advantages. The disadvantage one is that a lot of times you miss the sense. But the advantage is that sometimes a greeting can be for anything. But because of the way Yorubas greet, you can always tell what they are greeting about. Do you understand? Like now, I, I greet somebody, the other day I greeted uh, my, 
my mother-in-law. I said, I call Alejo. That instantly tells that the house is full of visitors. I was greeting her that I know you are, ta- you t- you know, you are taking care of grandchildren. My children are there, you know, stuff, stuff like that. So I instantly, you know. So those are the, that's the reason why when Bibles have been translated, they're using translations a lot because there are things that if you interpret, you will miss in trying to get the context in which the word is spoken. Now, I say, what are you trying to say? I'll tell you, this is, this is the summary. There are Bibles that are essentially interpretations. Even though they may use the word translations, but they are not translations, they are interpretations. Like New Living Translation. They don't give you word for word, they give you the meaning of what the man said. Good news is like that also. What I'm trying to say is that my own experience over years of studying is one, get one that is a simple interpretation, like Bible in basic English, New Living Translation, the Message Bible, Good News. That's, that should be there. And then get another one that's more of a translation. Those ones are very common. New American Standard, King James, New King James. Um, uh, what's the name of this other one? Revised Standard Version. NIV is... N- NIV, NIV, yes. Let's leave it like that. NIV. No, but some are very literal in their translation. And the best example is Young's Literal Translation. I don't recommend anybody reads that. I, I, I mean, you refer to it once in a while if you're a Bible teacher because it helps you to understand a lot of things, okay? Like you hear me talk about the third commandment. It was when I decided to go and check it in Young's literal translation that I finally understood what I believe that Moses was trying to help us to understand. So what is my advice to everybody? Get at least two Bibles. The common, simple English that you can relate with. Your friend is using good news. And you are using something that doesn't mean he's more spiritual or less spiritual. It's just what he can connect with. Are you getting my point? Because of my job as a teacher, I read all... T- in fact, I want to, if one verse is interesting me, I'm not exaggerating. If a verse is interesting me, I read in at least 15 translations. I keep on reading and reading. And I must check Young's literal translation. Check commentaries on them, all right? Just because it's my job. You don't have to do all of that. If you <laughs> Okay, you say, okay, what do I do? Let me see what Pastor Maggie has said about it. That's what some of us do. Just say, this thing is hard. Did David Posting comment on it? Yes. Give me his commentary. Because I know he will have done a lot of work. That's how life is, all right? Nobody can do everything by himself. So that's just a simple tip I want to advise everybody, all right? Make sure you read your Bible regularly. I advise you get a Bible that you can easily connect with, that brings the language life, life to you, makes it real, all right? And also get one that's as accurate as possible when comparing with the original. What I use for that is New American Standard, and I have recommendations for that. The Red Prince recommends that. RB Time recommends this. He says one of the best translated Bibles, those two men that they know. And RB Time used to read his Bible in Greek and in Hebrew. Yet when he has to use English, he uses New American Standard. That's why I use it, all right? I've had a lot of recommendations. I've had personal experience with it. And on the other side, I use New Living Translation and Bible in mainly New Living Translation. And then... Every Bible student should have an amplified Bible at the end. That only is good for New Testament. In Old Testament, they saw nothing to amplify. <laughs> just, just try it, you'll see. They hardly amplify anything in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, it's also good in the Old Testament. I read New, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. I read it from um, Amplified Bible, and it brings out so beautifully. All right? That's just by the way. I hope I've helped somebody. Okay. 
So, again, another thing I should say, how do you understand the Bible? The easiest I have found out over time is don't reinvent the wheel. Don't try. They've made the wheel. Go and buy it. Are you getting my point? Yes, don't go and reinvent the wheel. What do I mean by that? Many times, people have studied the scriptures, and having studied it, they have taught us. Go there, buy their books, and read. Do you understand what I'm saying? When I said I wanted to do, is to, uh, let us go through the book of Ephesians and Colossians. Even though I have had it in mind for a long time, I happen to know that David Paulson did um, exposition on the whole Bible. He went through the whole Bible explaining each book. It made sense for me to take the 40 minutes he preached on Ephesians, 40 minutes he preached on Colossians, and listen to them first. Okay? There's no point. Let me do my own research. I will do it after. Even when you are doing research, you have to refer to what other people researched ahead of you. So you, you read it. I mean, he has that, the, the compilation, he has it in um, Unlocking the Bible. You get a book like that, you read those areas, it will help you. There are people who have taught. That, that was the easiest way by which I learned scriptures. Men who were teaching, I listened to them. I bought their books. They lay foundation for you. All right? It's not, no, I must read. People say, there are things we say sometimes that sound so nice. You read the Bible for yourself. It is true. Then you will now understand what the Ethiopian eunuch encountered. He said, do you understand what you are reading? The man said, how can I? Except somebody explains it to me. All right? Have a Bible. Read it. But please, don't say, I can understand it by myself. There are things you can't understand. If you, there are so many commentaries on the Bible. Thank God for this digital age. We have so many things in, you know, in our devices. You have things like a Matthew Henry commentary, uh, James. Um, and there are many of them. On my Bible, I have, on my device, I have so many. And you go through all of them. They explain things to you. There's, and one of my the books I bought those is when I was a student, when I just left school, is... Um, R.W. Bollinger's Companion Bible. The day I got that Bible, it, the cost to me was almost half of my month's salary. I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. But even if I got everything complete, that Bible cost me one-third of my whole month's salary. The day I got it, I was so excited. One, one of these worried boys who was my neighbor that day, he saw me look very, looking very happy. He said, ah, man, he said, this is called me Blackie. He said, hey, Blackie, what's in the apple? That worried guy. I said, I'm feeling so happy. He said, what happened? I said, my Bible was delivered today. <laughs> the guy looked at me. Along the way, we, I said, he asked me how much I bought it. I told him, he said, Blackie, not vex so. Not vex so, I talk this one. Blackie, don't decrease so. <laughs> he said, no, we're both house officers. He told me that, look, I shouldn't be angry, but just has to say this one. That Blackie, don't begin crazy. You spend this kind of money for Bible. You can't rejoice like this. <laughs> that kind of thing. I mean, if you spend this amount of money, you should be sad. You should be as well. But the guy didn't understand that this is breakthrough. I still have it in my house. R.W. Bollinger's Companion Bible. I bought it in 1992. It's still there. It's still there. It's this digital age that has reduced my use of it. Now, online, everything is available online. Everything. There's a Bible. Um, there's, there's what they call Bible Hub. That one has everything. Once you're online, you pull everything from it. You want to do any Bible study, just type it in. Bible Hub will pull for you a hundred translations, commentaries, everything, which you can read. It's there. There's Bible.cc. Everything is there. And then, of course, version. Thank God for David Green. So these resources are all there, and we should all take advantage of them. All right, the Lord is good. 
That's just general talk, general introduction. Now, let's now get to our business for today. The book of Colossians, uh, we're studying Ephesians and um, F, um, Colossians, but because of, we know Colossians was written first, we will start from there. The book of Colossians chapter 1 is where we are going to begin. And because um, I intend to read, to lead it, I'll read the New Living Translation. And I'll pass comments here and there as we... Uh, today just our like introduction. We'll continue it next time. Uh, those days, I remember once I was a when I was a house officer. Around the time I bought that my Bible that I was telling you about. You can look up from the reading. I will read in a moment. There was a woman who was a Jehovah Witness who was my um, my um, co-worker. We're working the same hospital there. A nurse. And one of those days, I was on duty. I think I was on call. I think it was casualty or somewhere. Or the clinics. I can't remember now very well. But there were two nurses. One very senior, one, to, one senior to her. One junior to her. And this Jehovah Witness. And then me, a house officer. Now, something happened. I can't remember what started it. But Bible discussion started. And apparently, I found out that woman had been terrorizing everybody in that place. Now, that's actually where I'm going. The woman had been a terror to them. And that day, God set her up by making her start her terrorism in my presence. So a Bible argument started. She would say one thing, and out of respect, I said, man, no, it's not exactly like that. I will say another one. She will bring another argument. She will quote one scripture, I will quote two. She, there was a time she quoted from, um, I think it was the First Corinthians chapter 13. I said, no, you started at the wrong verse. Go back two verses. I collected the Bible, went back up, and read it, and proved to her that she was twisting that scripture. That thing went on and on for a long time. Normally, I don't bother with people who are not, you know, who are not learning or, you know, who are not on the same frequency. Arguing with people, I don't bother. But that day, it was as if unction came upon me. I gave it to that woman serious that day. When she says one thing, in John, I said, John never said that. John never said that. Let's read it again. I bring out the Bible, open to where she was referring to, back up three verses, and read it for her. Now, that, it's not her that was my issue. And I found out why the Holy Spirit allowed me to do it that day. Actually, what happened was that the two other nurses, they were looking at me. You know, they didn't know you could argue with this woman. That's where I'm going. They were surprised that somebody knows as much Bible as this woman, because the woman had terrorized their lives. They couldn't say anything. Once she's spiritual, she, she starts quoting scriptures. But because they are normal Christians, and that's where I'm going, most Christians don't read the Bible. They don't know it. But Jehovah Witnesses have one thing. They systematically teach the adherents the scriptures. You can disagree with them. I disagree with a lot of their doctrines. All right, I was th- as I was driving down the car just now, I was listening to a message. The preacher was still picked on them in particular area and said, this is one thing they have done to Christianity that is not right. So I disagree with them on a lot of things. The identity of Jesus Christ, of course, I can't accept their opinion. They say it's in Jeremiah that came down to the earth and his name is Jesus. That is what they say. Are you getting my point? They have a, all kinds of doctrines. But what I want to say is this. You will see they have a systematic way of passing their doctrines across. So that if you face any one of them, they have scriptures in their head to challenge you. An average Christian does not have that. All they know is, our daddy said. <laughs> I don't know whether you're getting my point. 
And that was what happened that day. So that day, the Lord just allowed me to pick on that woman. I believe very strongly for the sake of those two women. They were looking at, they didn't, and listen, I'm talking about 1992, 91, 92. I started a house job around October, November, 91. And this was during my first year of working. So you can imagine how young I looked that time. That's what I'm trying to get to. Are you getting my point? Just removed 25 years from what I'm looking like, like right now. So the, <laughs> so the women were looking at me like, where did this guy come from? They, were, they didn't know that amount of Bible knowledge was possible. How did I gain it? I came from school where I told my, my room, all we used to, people used to, used to fight and argue was scripture. Even if you didn't want to read Bible, so that you can stand in the midst of brethren, you crammed a few verses. We literally used to have like two messages memorized. Because you can get somewhere, sit down, they say, ah, let's wait, when is this meeting starting? Five, okay, and the time is 4.30. What do we do? Hey, Banky, share something. That's how the senior bros will do to you. The third brother says, so you don't have anything to share. He will abuse you, that is, by the time he's done with you, that's the problem with you people these days. You don't read the scriptures. The devil just be terrorizing your life. By the time the guy is done with you. <laughs> so we, I'm telling you, we memorize just to be able to walk freely. <laughs> you memorize a few scriptures. I remember one of our seniors that time, we call him Pastor E. You want to go and visit him. The last thing you do is to sit down, read the Bible, cram a few things. Because as soon as you enter his room and you sit down, First thing they want to ask you, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Uh-uh. And like they say, hmm, why no go come last? Like, like, Holy Spirit must say something. There have been times I, I, I wanted to go and visit him. I said that I'm not going again. Because on the way I said, I read through the Bible, nothing made sense. So I said, I beg, leave me alone. The Lord is good. I pray that Christians will have that habit. We need it. That's what I told the story of the Jehovah Witness woman. All right? Because of their, their, their own um, um, system in their church, the people have a lot of scriptures in there. And I think we, we, all of us believers should try something like that. Have a systematic way by which you study scriptures. There are different ways. Different things work for different people. My own personal experience, what I recommend, all right, is listen to a lot of teachings. Listen to a lot of messages. And not just, the, the preachers come in different varieties. They are those who encourage you. They, I personally call them evangelists, all right? That's what I call them because I have my reason for that. I can't talk about that now, all right? They encourage you. They speak words, very positive. They charge you, but they don't teach you much. You need that. That's how life is. You need, all, you need everybody put together. There are those who are not exciting. They are systematic. My best example this is, is David Paulson. He takes the Bible, reads one line. Gives you all that thing, explains things to you. It goes systematic, line by line. You need people like that. They come in different levels. They come in different um, strata. I mean, some take it from very high levels. They say things that you don't know what they are talking about. Leave them. Go to people that come at a particular at a particular level. They say, okay, they want to talk about salvation. They will tell you why do we need salvation. They have 15 scriptures to show you on why you need salvation. You read through it line by line. By the time you're done. You understand the scriptures. Jesus said you err, not knowing the scriptures or the power of God. Many people, they don't, it's not even about, is there revelation? They don't even know that the Bible says something. We walk around it by a lot of assumptions. One of the ways by which uh, R.W. Bollinger persuaded us those days to listen to his opinion, R.W. Bollinger, when I read that Bible, all right, 
He says something. I'll throw a few of them down to you, that, all right, just to wake you up to. He will tell you something like, um, okay, you may have heard this before. That after all, you, you believe that three uh, wise men visited Jesus. And of course, eh, how many of them did? He said, the Bible never said so. Then you look like, what? You, you know, you're like, no! You will go there, you go and check. The Bible says, wise men from the east, number not given. It will calm down. <laughs> if I tell you this, don't run away with it. Forget as soon as I say it, all right? It will shock you. The man insisted that Jesus was not crucified with two people. He was crucified with four people. And the guy wasn't kidding. And when he lines the scriptures up for you, and he show you photographs of old churches that they used to have a cross, a, a central cross with four beside them. And he will show it to you from scriptures. By the time he reads John for you there, and they were crucified with him others, two on this side and on that side. He said on each side of Jesus, there were two, uh, two people. Two thieves and two terrorists. And he will prove it to you. You know how you prove it? That the Bible said they broke the leg of the first thief. They broke the leg of the second thief. And when they came to Jesus, said so Jesus was number three on a row. But we assume they went here, crossed him, went to him. He said, why would they do that? <laughs> but see, these are not fundamental things to Christianity. So they are not discussed. It was the first person that told him that Jesus could not have died on Friday and risen on, on Sunday. That that's two days and two nights. That you are <laughs> he explained to you that Easter, that Easter is an invention. That's not Christianity. Jesus died on Friday, rising on Sunday, is two days and two nights. And by his own testimony, he will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. That was the first day I heard of high Sabbath. I never knew there was a, there are different kinds of Sabbaths. Some of you have never heard that before. Sabbath not be the same level. Of. There's regular Sabbaths and there are high Sabbaths. For example, Passover does not have to fall on Saturday. Passover could fall on Wednesday, could fall on Thursday, depending on the, the, the particular year. Are you getting my point? And on Passover, Passover days are Sabbath days. But, so they are called high Sabbaths. If there is a special celebration, a special festival, that day is a Sabbath, and, but it's called a high Sabbath. Jesus was crucified a day before a high Sabbath. And just think about it. It was crucified Passover time. That, I'll just prove to you, just from scriptures, that the man died Wednesday, rose up Saturday, sin on Sunday. Three days and three nights, complete. No argument. Next Easter, you won't be confident again. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord is good. The Bible is interesting. It's interesting. If you, have, if, you, if you listen to Bible scholars talk, so I, 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 I desire that every one of us will be Bible scholars in our own right. Let's know the scriptures. Let's know it. Let's know it. It gives you confidence. People don't want to just be harassing you. You can know the scriptures. Many of you study physics. At least have a simple knowledge of scriptures. If you can understand physics, you'll be able to understand. I'm not even talking about Revelation now. Just simple. Matthew is before Luke. Luke is before John. And there's no book like Nicodemus. <laughs> it's a joke like that. They say, everybody open your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel chapter 5. And you see Christians opening. And the preacher is looking at everybody. Ezekiel chapter 5. If you find it, read verse 2 for me. <laughs> at the end of the day, there's no book of Ezekiel in your Bible. One day somebody said to me, Titus. I'm like, Titus, there's no Titus now. Then I open my Bible and say, Titus, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> the Lord is good. You know, when you think of titles, first that comes to your mouth, my mind is fish. <laughs> okay, now, the Lord is good. Now, let me just step. Don't, no, don't read your Bible yet. Like I said, I'll tell you when to go in there. I just want to make some points. Let me start now. Now, I, um, David Paulson says something. Like I told you, I listened to him. And he said Paul used to write, uh, Paul wrote three kinds of letters. One, are personal letters, which you can easily understand. Like we mentioned Titus now. Um, he wrote twice to um, Timothy. He wrote to Philemon. All right, you see letters like that. Paul wrote, those were personal letters to individuals. So he would talk on a personal basis. Another set of letters were letters written to local churches to address certain issues. He would write to a particular church, write their name on it, tell them things that was going on, and be talking to their matters. The issue about that type of letter is that it always addressed issues that were going on. They were not just general doctrine, but doctrine addressed to certain issues. And there were letters in which he wrote and expected many people to read them. Example, of course, of that one, you know, the letter to the Corinthians, our best examples, the Galatians. Galatians just say, oh, foolish Galatians. It doesn't mean every Christian is a fool. It's not as when you pick, it, say, he's writing to Christians. Oh, foolish Father God, I'm a fool, I'm a fool. No, <laughs> it's nothing like that. <laughs> the Galatians were doing certain things at that time. And for that reason, he spoke to them the way he did. Oh, foolish Galatians. And the Corinthians, the same thing. You say, ahead of your faith, ahead of this, I'm praying for you, and all of that, but I heard from the house of this person that this, thing, this one's happening, how can you do that? How can a man be taking, you know, local issues? That's another set of letters. And Colossians was a letter like that. And then, of course, there's what they call, what they call them, the, the third one are general letters meant to be read by everybody. It applies to anybody at any time. It has no specific personal greetings to individuals. And it's not addressing specific issues in a particular local assembly, but he expects that every Christian will read it and be blessed. And they say one of those letters is the one that is now labeled the letter to the Ephesians. That originally, I read different opinions about that, but originally, when he wrote that letter, it was not specifically addressed to the Ephesians. All right? But it was eventually found there, and it was just labeled later on as a letter to the Ephesians. Many, all the churches were supposed to read them. But why I mentioned that is the fact that the letter to the Colossians was written to a local church or some, lo- some church- churches in a locality, in an area, okay, and was addressing certain points. Now, why is that important for us to note? Because you will see the reason why the man is speaking the way he's speaking. There are certain issues that he wants to address, and if you don't understand that, you may not easily be able to grasp what he's trying to emphasize on. Now, let me just say something as I began, begin these teachings. It would let you know that I'm not, I'm not a theologian in that sense, and some of the details that, even though I've read them, I've learned them, they're not important for what I want to do. My own plan, my own um, desire, is to teach doctrine. Are you getting my point? For us to understand the doctrines <coughs> of Christianity by reading the scriptures. I mean, for example, I will not tell you where was Paul when he wrote it. In my own studies, I found out where he was. Are you getting my point? Who was sitting on his right? Who was sitting on his left? Who carried the letter? No, those are details that people have to, because knowledge is knowledge. You have to just have it out there. All right, those are details you have to read, you encounter when you are reading. But then it's not important for my own teachings, okay? So there are many controversies I will not, that I encounter while studying. I won't bring them up. My own purpose is just for us to understand the scriptures, understand Christian doctrine. For example, we'll get to the book of Ephesians. I like one thing David Paulson said about that. He said that Ephesians is the closest that Paul ever came to 
in writing out simply the fundamental doctrines of Christianity. Alright? Those are the things uh, I'm trying to do. Just to highlight those things so that Christians can understand. Because like I said the other day, you see Christians who don't, they still be arguing, prove to me that God is not in the building. Why should I be proving to you that God is not in the building? I think I would have thought that we should have gone beyond that. But you see, what happens is this. Around us, the things around affect us. That's just the way it is. General beliefs affect us. General practices affect us. Like now, you get to a place like the U.S. now, people have to be arguing, all right? They have to, every Christian must know from the scriptures, must be clear to every believer that homosexuality is not the will of God. I don't know whether you're getting my point. So an average Nigerian is not to be discussed. We thought we all knew it. Why are we having arguments about it? But when you see books written, some say, I was born like this, God made me like this. And there's a man who took a Bible and rewrote it. And it's published and it's out there to accommodate the homosexual lifestyle. Even though we see the opinion of God in the, under the law and the prophets, all right? We see his opinion in the New Testament. We see it clearly stated. And they say, what if I was born like that? I always say, if I was, there are people born blind, true or false? Does it make it normal? A man comes to you and says, listen, I'm, I mean, you can't discriminate against me after I was born blind. It's not my fault. Who sinned that I should be born blind? I don't know. So I'm going to pilot your plane. You are flying to Enugu. Enter this plane. I'm the Dana Airways pilot. You will not even ask for a refund. <laughs> so I will pray for the other passengers. I mean, the same man who said he was born like this, nobody should discriminate against him. Why does not allow a blind surgeon to do his surgery? He said, oh, you have a goiter that needs to be removed. And you lie down. He said, where's the surgeon? He comes with, walk, uh, what do you call it? A guide dog, a guide dog, or a walking seat, tapping, tapping, tapping. Please, um, where's my gloves? Eyes closed. You say, in fact, I've been healed in Jesus' name. You we get up. I'm telling you the truth. So all these arguments of I was born, I was not born like this, I was not born like that, is not what we are saying. It's not something like Christians want to argue on it. No, it's not true. Some people are not born like that. Look, I'm not even, I have my own opinion on those facts because the way scientific world interprets facts, you will be, at least, you will be surprised. Fa- statistics, <coughs> interpreting statistics, eh, is a whole, how do I say it? I don't know how to say it. It's like two lawyers. They interpret the law to sue their client. You know the way, you know the way it is. That's how it is. People just say anything they want to say. That is why we must stick with the word of God. That is the only place where you get true knowledge. My example, I say all the time, even medical statistics, the lies are everywhere. People, you think doctors, because they are doctors, the only thing they say is for the health of the patient. Now, like, the pharmacist has more power than the doctor in the drugs you take. You don't know that? The doctors don't control the pharmaceutical companies. So doctors don't have money. The people that control the drugs in the market are the pharmaceutical companies. They are the ones that pour billions and billions of dollars out into this research every year. A man will spend $500 million on a drug. You say he shouldn't sell it. He will sell it. He will, if I tell you this, he will bribe the doctor. The doctor will prescribe it. And by the time a chief starts saying something, you won't know it's bribery. The boys coming after him think he's the word of God. <laughs> after two generations, doctors are prescribing what is profiting the pharmaceutical company. 
And he says, I'm the doctor. He's the, like, the pharmacist is telling you what to write. So if you prescribe that one, I won't make money. That is why when we are publishing in the scientific world, you have to declare conflict of interest. If you say this drug is good, under oath, with your academic career at risk, you have to let everybody know who sponsored the research. Yeah. So if you see some doctors flying all over the world, you don't know who's paying the money. Pharmaceutical company. Oh, I've left my message, have you? Let me get my message. The Lord is good. In every society, things that people propagate, all right, they change and affect the church. That's what I'm talking about. That's why we have to stick to God's word. You get to a particular, okay, the example I was given earlier, that homosexuality matter, they twist statistics to make statements. It gets to a time, even Christians, they hear so much, they start softening. I heard a supposed Christian, Bible scholar, say on television, being interviewed, a woman, that she's persuaded that if Paul were to write the scriptures, his letters in this generation, he wouldn't write Romans chapter 1. And this was a professor of theology in a school. <laughs> Why am I saying so? So when letters are written to particular localities, they often address their problems. Within the context of the general word of God, within the, 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 with the foundation of sound doctrine, but you see the person emphasizing something here. Now, I'm going to read out something here. Um, it's long, but I will try and jump to the major areas. From one of the commentaries that I have, that explains the reason why Paul wrote the letter to the Corinth Colossians. The background thing that was going on, that the man was responding to when he was writing to the Colossians. Now, the commentary I'm quoting from is the Jemison, Fawcett, and Brown commentary. I said there are different ones. This one... I heard it from different areas, read from different places, but this just encapsulated it easily for me. I'll just read a few things there. Now, what was happening is in the book of in the in the, in the cities, all right, in that area, some the practices around had crept into the church, and many kinds of things were coming into the church. Different religions were being adapted to Christianity, and that still happens till today. Today, we use all kinds of psychology. Psychology has been adapted to Christianity. That one is very, very common. There are people who call themselves Christian counselors. You read their books. It's so sad. I've read some of them. I've, at least I've gone through a, a number. You see, they use Freudian psychology, and they flavor it with Christianity. Are you getting my point? They start doing a, a lot of psychoanalysis on demonic possession. I don't know what you're getting my point. Somebody's demon possessed, they can't recognize it. What they are doing is psychoanalysis. And they write a book, give it a Christian title, and put their name with a PhD after. And you are impressed that the fellow knows what he or she is saying. But actually, a psychology, all right, that he brought into Christianity. There are some very popular Christian books, those days, as a young believer. I read through them. I said, I'm not going to read this. He said, Why? Well, I said, This is psychology. I said, This is psychology. I'm not interested. People go, read, You will enjoy it. I said, I've, I've browsed through this psychology. My, maybe my own problem was that I studied a little bit of psychology in my second year as part of our psychiatry training. You have to study psychology. And so when I would go to medical class, I read psychology, I pick a Christian book, and the man is analyzing proper psychology for me, and now trying to flavor it with a few scriptures, and putting amen, praise God here and there, and I'm supposed to be impressed. We are doing it today also. Sometimes business principles, written by unbelievers who don't understand anything, want to use it to teach believers how to plan their future. Sometimes we sit down, Jesus said, take no thought for the morrow. We say, 
message today is how to take proper thought for the morrow without disobeying the Lord. And Jesus is looking and saying, do they listen to me at all? He said, no. Um, they give you the name of one business planner. has said that you should have a 40-year projection. And it sounds so Christian. For me, Jesus said, mm, 40 years is too long. Is it within the context of one day for you? If the answer is no, he said, forget it, leave it. That's scripture. But you see, you hear the opposite so much, you think it is normal. I said something the other day, and it will surprise some people if they don't, did not know it before. Jesus never said anybody should celebrate his birthday. No, it's true. December 25th, even those who celebrate it don't believe he was born on that day. We all agree that he wasn't born December 25th. It's just a day we choose. Abi? Except that did he ever say we should do that? That's it, don't celebrate Christmas. I just said, you're on your own. That's all I said. I didn't say you should not celebrate Christmas. I'm just saying, I'm not, I, I, it's, it's a very fantastic holiday. Two extra days of jollificating. All right, that's Nigerian English, I think. Jollificate. Is that proper English or Nigerian English? We don't even know which one is which anymore. <laughs> so sometimes you find, and there's a danger in life, this is a matter of fact. The danger is that what is in the environment around generally tries to seep into the church. Because the church members are coming from there. They often bring that spirit inside. You get to a place like North America. You get to um, mostly the United States. You see that the divorce rate inside the church is also very high. They are not wicked people. That's the environmental influence. In the church in Corinth, you find a lot of sexual immorality. It entered the church. One boy collected his father's wife. His stepmother. He collected and said, Daddy, this girl is too young for you. What's your problem? Collected the girl. And they were coming to church and worshiping, and he was prophesying. We worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Wave your hands unto him. 